uh, arrived yesterday well, and they're fine and well in Texas, so praise the Lord for their traveling mercies. Um, also, because we will have a orientation class towards membership in Sylvia's and Carol's room upstairs after the worship service, and the important business meeting that will happen next week. On the back table, I have printed the church's statement of faith. This church's statement of faith is exactly the same as the association statement of faith, and it's on the back table. Also, if you would like to educate yourself, please take a copy of our bylaws and constitution. They're also on the back table right there, and you can read and prepare yourself for next week as well. At this time, let's uh, all uh, let's all bow our heads as we come in prayer before the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for another beautiful day. It is beautiful, Lord, not because the sun is up and the weather is getting warmer, but we still stand today in the beauty of this first day of the week in which you rose from the grave. And it is in this victory, in this blessed hope, Lord, that we as the church celebrate. Lord, with everything that's happening around us, with our lives, we're here to raise a hallelujah, to praise you and to worship you for the resurrection of life. For Jesus being the resurrection and life. And it is in that reality, Lord, that with all aches and pains and troubles of this world, that we come full of joy. And we thank you for the love that you portrayed on that cross for us. We come and we look at ourselves and, Lord, there's more and more room of holiness left for our life. We look at the things that we might have said in this last week or we might have done or we might have thought or we omitted to do the things that you wanted us to do and we ask forgiveness, knowing, Lord, that we already have that assurance of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But we continue to pray, Lord, that you would grow more and more and we would be less and less. We thank you, Lord, for this day, and we continue to pray, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, for the troubles in the Middle East. We pray, Lord, for the turmoil and the things in this country. And we pray, Lord, for the salvation of the leaders um, that lead this country, whether it be at the state level, city level, or national level. We pray for the ones that know you to be encouraged and refined. And we pray for those who don't know you, that they'll be met by your standard, by your truth and your gospel and your love. We continue to pray, Lord, for people in our church that are sick. And we ask, Lord, for your hand of healing, restoration, and strength for them. Lord, right now, as we keep our heads bowed, I want to ask, Lord, the congregation... If any of you would like to join me this week in fasting and praying for um, 
uh, our bassist, uh, Jerry, who's not doing so well, and he's a recovery home. If you like to fast one meal this coming week and pray for Jerry, would you kindly, as our heads are bowed, raise your hand up as you'll join me. Um, yes, thank you very much. Uh, this will be uh, for us. Uh, please pray for Jerry as you fast one meal or as much as the Lord leads you to. But Lord, we also come before you to thank you that you have brought us as your body, as your house. And you tell us that people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So teach us, Lord, how to love one another, how to love our neighbor, and Lord, how to love you with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we also want to give you a portion of that which you have given us with a cheerful heart. We pray that you bless it and use it for the expansion of your kingdom. At this time, Lord, we also want to come in unison together as a body. And if you will look up, you can join me uh, to pray out loud the Lord's Prayer as our Lord asked us to pray. Okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's... Good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being with us today. Um, we are going through a very interesting book. It's called the Book of Leviticus. And um, we've been having quite the conversations on Wednesday nights. So I'm sorry if some of you have missed that. Uh, some of it will come about. But it's a very important book. Why is it an important book is because we are all what? We're all priests, royal priests, right? In 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And Leviticus, by its name, is instructions for the priests. Now, as you guys told me correctly, it's also a book that the theme is be holy for I am holy, and that is very correct. That is very important as we look at what's happening. Now, why is God giving those instructions to the Israelites? What was the culmination of the sacrificial system and the life of a priesthood? What do the priests do? They worship God, and because they worship God, the purpose of this worship was to create a worshiping community or a worshiping congregation, and that is the goal. Uh, the congregation was, what does it mean to be a worshiping community? I mean, they're on the road. But wait a minute, are you on a road? Are you on a journey? You ought to be. If you think this is your home, man, this, that's not good. Your home's not here. 
And if something ties you too much to this place, that it's not good either. So the Lord had to teach them to be a worshiping congregation when they had no home. So to be a worshiping community or congregation, the Lord clearly teaches us that they had to have a total dependence on God. Interestingly enough, for you and I, is that a reality of our worship? Do we have a total dependence on God? Hmm. Well, it means that you cannot be a worshiping community without faith. So when we come together, we speak about our regular life. But if we are a worshiping community and are a fellowship, we ought to begin to speak on how we're doing in this journey of faith. Hmm. So in this life, uh, Israel, just like us, they had to trust God that there would be what? Provision. Protection. Provision, protection, security from dangers. Now let, let me ask you, if we're on a journey to God, then why so many people in the church are running to try to be as healthy as they can or to be as wealthy as they can? They come to be a worshiping congregation, but they have those very purposes as something that they try to worship. You know, before coming to this church, they have now entire companies and pastors who place pastors to churches. So there was a church of only about 120 people. And this consultant firm was interviewing me. And I said, they're, they're in trouble. I, I think I want to go and try to help them out. And they go, what's wrong with you? You've already done that with so many churches. Now you're in a church of four or 500 members. It's not good for your career to go to a church that's smaller than that number. You have to go to a church that's much bigger or at least the same. And he refused to send my application to the church. So I said, oh, I don't think I'll be working with those companies and those placement people anymore. Right? Because if I'm a worshiping pastor, what do I have to do? Live by faith. Live by faith. So God established what? God established feasts and holy days and gave them a new calendar. And that's what happened. Colossians 2.17 says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Hebrews 8.5 also say, They serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So 
why would God say, see that you do everything according to what you see? What is God being so nicely by implying? We have a tendency to do what? Do things the way God says to do them? To distort things, to change things, to rebel. And some people don't even have that. Some people say, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I have my own good intentions about how to do things. I'm smart enough and I have my own way. You know, and, I, and there's, there's some people who says, you know, I can be with one foot in the world and with one foot in heaven. You have all sorts of people. But God knew. He said, make sure. Now there's a reality in heaven. And the reason why a worshiping congregation and you and I need Leviticus is to realize God is saying we're not holy and we need to be purified before we get home. We need to be purified before we get home to that journey. Now, when did, the, when did the year start for the Jews? Do any of you remember? Seventh month. Seventh month is when the year started for the Jews. How do we start our year? Hey, happy new year. People have a feast. Do you guys know how the Jews start the year? It's called Rosh Hashanah. Is that a feast? Anyone knows what happens at Rosh Hashanah? They blow the shofar. Do you know what a shofar is? Yeah. They blow the shofar. People hear it. Declaration of 10 days of repentance and fasting. Interestingly enough, God's people started with 10 days. The year started with 10 days of repentance and fasting. We, on the other side, we start with a party. We're better, right? You guys are laughing, but we're better, right? And we say, well, we're Christians, so we must be better, right? Because we have the Lord. We start with a party. And we even call everyone, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, we, you know, this Day of Atonement where we are here in Leviticus, this Day of Atonement where we are here in Leviticus, what is it called in Hebrew? Yom? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. This is part of Rosh Hashanah. So Yom Kippur is simply the 10th day. The 10th day was a complete fast. No one could eat or work. You couldn't even work inside of your own home. So basically, the shofar was rung about a hundred times during this time. 
and people who spend most of their day in the synagogues and at the temple repenting and praying for forgiveness of their sins. Now, as time went along, in the afternoon service, they added a book to read to remind them of this process of repentance. Guess what a small book that you can read in one sitting that reminds you of that process. I'll give you a hint. It's from the minor prophets. It starts with J and it ends with H. Jonah. So they read the book of Jonah. And then they pray some more for repentance. And in the evening when they sang the shofar again for the evening service on the 10th day of Yom Kippur. After the evening service, once the sun went down, they celebrated with a feast. And as they celebrated with a feast, uh, their um, custom was to eat apples that they dipped in honey. Why apples? Apples that declaring that, God, you are my provider. You will provide. And apples because I am anticipating the sweetness of this journey. How can we have a sweetness of our journey? We know our destination. If you know your destination, could you be joyful about your destination? Could that bring joy into your life? Right? So that is the reality before our eyes. Every year, this is what the Jews did. We claim we're better as Christians, and we are. But is that how Christians start the year? Well, maybe you don't. But I tell you how I grew up. I went to church at 8 p.m. There was a two-hour service at 8 p.m. Then people did fellowship. When about 11.45 rolled around, everybody in the church got on their knees. And they prayed for about an hour, nonstop. As the clock turned into the next year, everybody in the church was on their knees. And after that, that ended, then we had a meal together. There was a feast in the church. Now, yes, this is the persecuted church that I grew up in. But I'm looking and I'm interested enough. I'm saying, I had no idea about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But uh, it definitely looks like they were impacted by the Jewish missionaries. They came over to share the gospel and Christ with them, with us. Now we're Christians, but that which we celebrate and we do, it's actually opposite of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Actually, the Jews don't even say Yom Kippur. They say Yoma. And we have that, that term. Yom is day. What do you think Yoma would mean? <coughs> D-Day. If you're in the army, you know what D-Day is. What is D-Day? Right? Yom Kippur is the holiest day of their calendar. And it was a solemn assembly, and it wasn't a feast like how we start our year. Now, <clears throat> the problem here that we have 
is that the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, it's what we would call a spiritual reality for you and I. And you say, well, Pastor, what does that mean? Why would God speak to us in such language about Yom Kippur? Let's, let's begin to read and listen. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Why did they die? See if you're awake on Wednesday. Why did they die? Because God is holy. Why is this important? It's on the day of atonement that God decided to do what? To intersect with us. You know, we're very ignorant to say the least. We say, oh, we want the presence of God. And we do, right? Because we're protected by the blood of the Lamb. And now we have confidence to approach the, the presence of God. But we're also very ignorant about how dangerous the presence of God is. If we push the presence of God to come, He may come to harm. The presence of God is what we need, and that's our destination. So why is Yom Kippur so holy? Is because God touched our realm. So when we say Yom Kippur, we're saying, God touched me. Do you even have a song about that? Is there a song, God touched me? He touched me? Oh. I wonder if those people who wrote that song maybe knew about Leviticus and Yom Kippur. I wonder if those Christians who wrote that song sang it because of the very reality of this experience. <coughs> so it is the fact that God wants to intersect with you and I. That is the most holy thing. That is at the core of your life. That is when you know your destination. That is what gives you energy. That's what gives you purpose. That's what carries you forward. That's what's on your heart when you move into a new season. We're Christians. We claim we'll be better. And we do nothing like that in our life. And we'll keep going. I sometimes have to wonder. So the Lord says, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time in the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. 
For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Now, who's Aaron? The high priest. It was his job to do that. He was called by God to do that. And yet God tells him, this is very dangerous for you. Only one time a year you can go in there. Now, I'm not going to take the time of why Moses could go in there multiple times and, you know, and so forth. But the, for Aaron, this is only one time. Something that I didn't get to speak to you too much. What was in the Holy of Holies? Okay, Ark of the Covenant. And that's where I have the problem. The Ark of the Covenant and that which is the lid or the mercy seat or the covering, it is not the same thing. The Ark of the Covenant is made out of wood, it's gold-plated, and it holds what? The lid is made of pure gold, and it's not there to be a cap per se, but it is a throne, a mercy seat, to show us how the Lord will come with an attitude of mercy. Even within an attitude or in a heart of mercy, because He's holy, you may die. Here's something that I want to give you a hint to. It shows us our weakness. You can go so far to say that God is love. And you can go so far to say, wouldn't the God who forgave Adam and Eve right away be more loving than the God we have now? He certainly sounds that way. He does when you do what? You take one characteristic of God, you maximize it at the expense of other attributes that he has. God said, in the day you eat, you shall surely die. Can we maximize love to the expense of truth and holiness? They have to be in perfect harmony with one another. So now, as we can see this aspect, we have to realize, I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Why a cloud? For your safety, for my safety. What was the cloud of Jesus? Why do people have a hard time receiving Jesus as, as God? He had flesh like you and I.
and so on. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen ungarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. Okay, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a, bull, for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. What is happening here is he is only dressed in the tunic. And as, I, as we saw Wednesday night, why is Jesus not wearing the priestly robes? You know, the, the sash with the stones. Because that was a visual aspect for him to represent God towards people. Now he represents the people before God. So he comes in this humble attire of only a tunic of the undergarments. What else is the problem? One guy washed himself five times, killed 30 animals in one day. He had to do everything alone. Why? Because Jesus is the only way. There's no other way. He had to do it alone. Except what? Jesus didn't have to sacrifice for himself. Now, in the first part, why does he have to bring a bull for himself? Because before you can approach God... Before you can have an intersection with God, there needs to be a declaration that you are a sinner. How can you have a declaration that you are a sinner? Unless the Holy Spirit convicts you of that reality. Now imagine... When you come to church, if you come from this attitude that you're a sinner, that you are in a process of being holified, and Yom Kippur is a reality of the cross of Jesus for you, his death for you, his life for you, and you're constantly increasing in it. And if I'm a priest and I'm saying, that's why you come to church and that's why you're a better Christian this week than you were last week. And that's why I'm expecting some of the sinful lifestyle that I noticed last week not to be present this week is because of this very living reality. So do you know what the Jews would do? As they'd walk to the synagogue and temple and to the tent of meeting, they start shouting their sins out loud. Lord, I coveted my neighbor's wife. Lord, I stole my neighbor's day. I'm wondering how come people didn't break into fights on their way to the synagogue.
If God would put on display our sinful part here, it'd be so wretched. Our thinking, our motivation, it'll be so sick. But we would truthfully be in the right posture to come and to say, I need the mercy seat of God. I need the touch of the Lord of His presence in my life today. And that's what the Lord desires of you. Now, after He atoned for Himself and His house, that means the rest of the priests as well, they brought two goats. One goat was for <coughs> impuation or for the sin sacrifice. And the other goat was for propitiation or atonement. Atonement, propitiation, you can interchangeably use them. What does that mean? I come to get in touch with the Lord. Why? Not because the blood of the ram was what? Temporary nature. Could the blood of a ram pay for your sin? No. So it was only a temporary solution. Christ has a permanent solution. So I come in the confidence of the sacrifice that I bring. How many of you come to church prepared because you are offering in your prayer life the sacrifice of Jesus? So here, when you come to church and we're ready, and Jenny begins to go on the piano, it's like the shofar. Or like the basis starts, it's a reminder to you and us, it's a call to worship. It is a time for me not to see whether I like the song, whether I know the words, but it's spiritually to enter into a place where I now in prayerfully have spiritual transactions with God. And Yom Kippur speaks strictly <coughs> about forgiveness of sins. I wonder if that's in the Lord's prayer. Lord, teach us how to pray. The first request of, of the disciples of Jesus after being here for a while, they didn't say, how, where do you have the power to do the miracles? You know, where do you have the knowledge? What they noticed about him was the special life of prayer. So he said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Yeah, there was the, the, the Pharisee who came to the temple. He said, I fast three times a week. I give alms to the poor. I do all this. Thank God I'm not like this wretched sinner next to me. And the tax collector bit his chest and couldn't look up and approach. Oh, wretched man that I am. He 
he went home? I tell you the truth. It is him who went home justified. Can you come to church without the ever-present sacrifice of Jesus and presenting that for a renewal, for a holification, if that's such a word, for being made holy, being renewed, being refilled with the Spirit. So when people start singing, it's not just for the song, it's for you to begin to pour out your heart to the Lord and have spiritual interactions with confidence because of the blood of the Lamb. Now imagine if that was the reality of a Christian because of the most holy aspect of their relationship with God with the reality of Yom Kippur when they came to church versus people who said, I don't know the song, so there's only 10 people in the church singing it. And they're kind of watching to see, I, that person doesn't know it either. But the shofar has gone, the sound of God to say, hey, let me pull the reality of the condition of their heart, of that relational aspect that they have with me in, and let me see where they're at. He went home justified for beating his chest. Because if you walk into a church and some people are praising God, some people are crying, some people are joyful, some people are shouting, some people are dancing. No, this was real in the Jewish corporate worship meetings. You'll say, whoa, this is a crazy church. But it is an expression of this reality. Be careful. Some people may be more expressive than others. Some may look more civil in doing this. But whether you look more civil or not, you cannot escape that this ought to be the reality. Why? For him who knew no sin was made sin so that the righteousness of God may come upon us. So as you look at these two goats, one is to take away your sin, one is to remove and take the sin away from you. Now the scapegoat, how far could it go? Till they couldn't see it anymore. Now there's two variants. Some people said that they drove it all the way to the place where there was a clearing and then he died as he fell some people say no he just went to the place where they couldn't see anymore and he let it go free into the wilderness that's not the point the point is that it doesn't matter how far he went there's a point where you can go far enough and you still see the goat in the new covenant it's as far as east from the west if you go north at one point you'll go south if you go west or east You'll never stop going. It's an undefined. In the new covenant for Jesus Christ, the separation is undefined. Why? 
What's the difference? The come on, AJ, you know what's the difference? The starts with B and ends with D. The blood. The blood. You can't come to worship God if the blood of Jesus that he poured for you on, your, on the cross and you sit on your hands and is a covering for you and it washes your heart, it is not the most precious thing in your life. The word precious in Bible is only used as an adjective. It's mainly used as an adjective for the word blood. Is there something more precious than the blood of Jesus for your life? And that has something that you experience and that you value. And no one can say anything. And it is something that is a reality, not a concept. That's why we're called royal priests. Because that's our new mantle. The blood of the Lamb makes us not just regular priests, royal priests, because Jesus is the King of kings. And he is the one in the heavenly temple, standing as a high priest. And this is the reality in which we live. Now, think about it. What is the blood? Life. If the blood is your mantle, how do you walk? In resurrected life. So there's joy. There's joy because when you come to the house of the Lord, even at Yom Kippur, it ends in a feast. There's joy. For us, there's joy because of the resurrected life that's testified over Jesus rising from the cross and declared by the blood that is upon us. So this blood, he took it and did what? Put it on the horn, put it on the east side of the, of the, all, not just the altar, inside the Holy of Holies, on the, and then in front of it, and then on, uh, in, uh, on, on top of it, and then sprinkled it seven times. Why seven times? A complete. And I tell you, this will bring us into a reality check. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And it's done through sprinkling. But we think of that cleansiness through the water baptism, right? But in reality, the water baptism is a purification rite. And it's only a, an expression that I do have Jesus. I do have Jesus as my sacrifice to present. Spiritually within the temple, it is actually the sprinkling that declares the cleaning or the cleansiness of a person. 
So now you can see about the confusion of why some people argue about the method of how should we baptize. Well, baptize it clearly means being submerged and coming back to life. But there's also this place of sprinkling that represents within the temple that cleansing. So if I go to a convalescent home and someone's paralyzed in the bed and, you know, they've just received the Lord and I need to baptize them, even though I work at a Baptist church, rest assured I will sprinkle them rather than try to find a pool somewhere to dunk them and to carry them back and forth. Right, but I don't want you guys to get into meaningless arguments about those things. But the reality for you and I today is the sobriety of life. Yom Kippur puts you and I in the right perspective for our life. Gives us the means to approach God because now we have what? Let's, um, let me make sure that I read all the aspects so I don't leave anything out. The old covenant, type of sacrifice, blood of animals. In the new covenant, blood of Jesus. The quality of the sacrifice, it's not enough and it has to be offered over and over. In the new covenant, Christ is offered permanently and once. Quality of sacrifice, many. Only one. Effectiveness of the sacrifice for a day or for a year with the Lord is forever. Action of the result, temporary. With Jesus, it is final. Now, you say, well, pastor, if that's the case, why every Sunday do you pray for forgiveness of sins? Why does Jesus tell his disciples to pray for forgiveness of sins? Because while, while the third part, which is not presented here, what did they do? What did the person who, who, do, who brought the sin offering uh, for a sin get back from the offering? I know it's not in this chapter, but it's in Leviticus. I'm kind of testing you. They got the skin back. Why would they get the skin back of the animal? Put the skin to cover them. Did you ever think about that? Why would they clothe themselves with the skin of the animal? Excuse me? Yes. So we have impuation with one goat. We have propitiation with one goat. So that is covering. Look, in the old days there was a difference. They only covered, but not covered and removed like the Lord. And there was separation. The Lord covered and removed because the blood of the animals could not do it. But the covering meant what? I'm identifying myself with the sacrifice. 
does the New Testament tell us about clothing ourselves with Christ? Does it? Why? So before the heavenlies, the righteousness of Almighty God is bestowed upon us. Now which one of you, I understand that we're sinners and we get to be forgiven. But which one of us deserves the righteousness of Jesus on us? That holy righteousness of Almighty God. You guys may think of Tom of being a nice guy, but let me tell you, you know, he's not even close. I'm not even close. Nor, nor are you even close to deserve that righteousness of God. Here's what he says to us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew not sin, so that in him we might, became, might become the righteousness of God. What does Yom Kippur do to you and I? We come to church with a hungry heart, with this journey. I need to be in him and more like him. I'm not just repenting by the fact that I know I'm a sinner. And I'm not just repenting because I know something is wrong and I'm not there yet. But because there's a hunger in my journey... To leave behind the things that are sinful, that are compromising me, that are afflicting me, that are polluting my life, and stepping into Christ. And when you step into Christ, people will see the clothing that you wear. Because of righteousness. Propitiation. John 1 to 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. The extent of power, propitiation. How do you cover and remove? Well, don't eat or you shall surely die. Is God a liar? But death is approaching. But the Lord covers Jacob. But death is approaching. He doesn't say, no, Jacob doesn't deserve to die. No, Jacob deserves to die. But the Lord covers us to stand in between. So when death approaches, who takes it? The Lord. Imputation, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. If you read in Hebrew carefully, you will read something staggering. I'm not, I don't have time for that to see that the gospel was preached in the Old Testament too. But there was no power to receive it. What is Jesus doing that a goat can't? When you truly have that emptying of going through the cross with him. 
and realizing that I have to nail Jesus to the cross, my sin. And you willingly have to do that because he, you need him. And there's a reason why he was slapped. Why was he slapped and hit in the head? Because you had to place the hand on the head. We were nicer to the animal than we were to Jesus. So that is what now invades our life with power to do what? To cut the weight of sin. So I'm no longer trapped in that sinful lifestyle. Because I have the freedom and the power of Jesus to say no. That is the beauty of the gospel. Are you saying, well, I have trouble with this sin. I have, I, I have trouble with this condition. I'm in this situation. God has made it available to you and I to come forward with the sacrifice of his own son to receive power, to receive life within you. Why life? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. One quote from John Wesley. Give me ten men who... Has anyone heard it? Give me ten men who hate sin and love nothing but God and we will change the world. Give me ten men who hate sin and love nothing but God, and we will change the world. He goes further and says, whether they laymen or clergy, it doesn't matter. The beautiful thing is about Yom Kippur is when you enter into this season of life and you celebrate Yom Kippur, what are you saying? I step from death into life. I am in Christ. Power is available to me. Separation from sin is available to me. Cleansing is available to me. Covering is available to me. And he says, how should we approach now? What does the Hebrew author tell us? With Boldness and confidence. That's a gravity that ought to shake you. To ought to tell people, I ought to be dead, but I'm going to church. Because I was saved, because I was empowered, because I'm not in chains, because I want to celebrate, because I have Jesus to present, because I'm the, the wealthiest person alive. Is that your heart condition before you come to church? You see why they call the Yoma, the day, to set things right. That's our heart as we come here. 
I come to church and I worry, oh, I have a doctor's appointment next week. I wonder what he's going to say. See how easily we're detached or removed? But that's not what God is saying to you and I. He's saying you are on a journey of faith. You know your destination. You have the most precious thing available to you. And that's the blood of the Lamb. And that's why the first Christians were called people of the way. And it was in Antioch in 65 AD that they heard that the way was Christ. So they called them Christians. Now, you don't need to say come to church because there's, there's three or four of you that have the way of Jesus. You impact the place. There's something different. There's something different in this church. There's something different with these people. Look at them. day why is it so important because God says I want to touch I want to interact with you is it right for the Jews to say that's the most holy day Yom Kippur for us What's the most important day in your life? Not when you were born, but when you were touched by God. It's different when you go to work and you say, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about it? You talk about idea. But it's different when you say to someone, has God touched you? And you're like, what? Has God spoken to you? Yom Kippur says, I have something to share with you because I've been touched by God. Because I was one way and I went this way. And now I can tell you why that is and you present the gospel. Because you've been touched by God. And when you do that and that's the reality of your life and you come into the worship place, you'll be jumping because of that reality. We can even make mistakes when we sing here the song. You won't be bothered. Believe me. Or that someone next to you sings off tune. Or off pace. God wants to touch you. Have you been touched by God? So we will begin to take this more seriously. And we will begin to have a prayer team here. And at the end of every service, if you feel comfortable, come forward. But I want to encourage you to begin to release your heart during the time of praise and worship. To interact and have spiritual transactions with the Lord. And in our prayer time.
Because otherwise, we can take church and make it like a ritual, the way they saw rituals of animals being sacrificed daily. But God is saying there's life present here. Come and taste and see that the Lord is. They knew it even back then. When's the last time you went to church and you tasted and you told people, come and taste and see that the Lord is good? Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, Lord, we've been corroded by the institution, Lord. We've been corroded by church and knees. We've been corroded, Lord, by our own way of doing things. Lord, today in the Yom Kippur, our face is towards you and our condition is clear. So we're jumping for joy because of Jesus. Because we truly come here today being freed by your Holy Spirit to declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you have set my feet on a rock. And today I worship you. I praise you. I lift your name on high. Because you have made power available to, to me. To break over barriers of sin. You have anointed us, Lord, with your blood to witness of your resurrected life. To cut the chain of sin, Lord. <coughs> to find the peace of removing the sin away from us as far as it's east is from the west. To know that I'm so precious, Lord, because I have the most precious thing that has ever touched this world. And I have it, Lord, because of you. Lord, forgive us when we get more excited about money or about other things, Lord. Reshape our hearts to be excited about you about the possession of your blood, of your broken body, Lord. And thank you that you are our covering. And if there's any here who don't know Jesus and don't have that power and they live under the chain of sin, Lord, may your Holy Spirit convict them to reach out and to come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and worship. throne of God.